0: Well, we are wrapping up our series today called The Way of Jesus. Like I was just talking about after this week, next week for Labor Day weekend, we got a special message for you. And then coming after that, a brand new series called Acts. And for a few weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of Acts and studying the beginning of the church. What is the church? Why did it start? The beginnings of it. Learn about some of the founders of the church and the people uh, that lived in those days and just learn from the book of Acts. Acts together. It's going to be incredible. And so that begins the week after next. And that's going to be exciting. Today we're wrapping up the way of Jesus. And we've been examining Christianity in this series talking about the difference between the movement that Jesus started, and what we think of as Christianity today. Because the fact is, if I were to pull five of you out of this room alone and ask, what is Christianity, I would probably get five different answers. It's difficult for us not to apply our feelings that we've received from people to the word of Christianity, the what the experiences that we've had that the, the churches that we've been in the traditions we've been a part of, we apply all of those things to what Christianity is. But in the very beginning, it was, it was much a simpler thing to define. Jesus called people to follow him. And in the first century, Christians were identified as followers of the way of Jesus. I'm a follower of the way. And it's simple and it's clear. And in this series, we're just unpacking what that means to be a follower of the way of Jesus oftentimes we confuse what it is we believe with religious moments or a few habits that if we stick to uh, these things might just get us into heaven one day. We add Christianity to our lives like a gym membership. How many of you out there got a gym membership? You ain't been to the gym in months. You're sending that check. That direct deposit is coming out every month for two reasons. One, you don't want to get bullied by the guy at the counter. And two, because you're just hoping that if you just keep that gym membership on retainer, that you know maybe, just maybe, something will happen. You know, You'll just wake up one day stronger because you've been faithfully... Paying the people at Colts Gym for the last six months, even though you ain't been there. We treat church this way too sometimes. We think if we just do a little bit, if we just add just enough of church to our lives, enough of Christianity to our lives, maybe we'll get all the benefits that they talk about. We'll have that full life, the blessings of God upon us. We'll have favor. We'll We'll have just a satisfaction inside. If we could just add a couple things to our lives. But that's not the call of Jesus. The call of Jesus is to follow him, to drop everything and come follow him. And in this series, we've been talking about what that means. Because the call of Jesus is not complicated. It's simple. He's called us to be with him, to become like him, to do what he did, to be disciples, apprentices. Apprenticeship is simply Watching your master at work, working alongside your master, and then doing the work of your master. And that is as apostle, I mean, as apprentices and disciples of Jesus, that is the uh, process that we follow. So today we've covered the first two, and I want to talk about this last piece, doing what Jesus did doing what Jesus did. We've talked about being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus. Today I wanna to talk about doing what Jesus did. Step one, we're gonna find some tables. And step two, we're gonna flip them. We're gonna go crazy. We're gonna make a whip, chase people around outside of church. That is a real thing that Jesus did, but that's not what we're talking about today. In that context, people had turned church into something that was just about money and performance, and that would never happen in real life today anyway, so have to worry about that. Check that one off. Doing what Jesus did just means learning to live the way that he lived and continuing the work that he began. It's the ultimate goal of a disciple to become like the one they are discipled to. Last week, we talked about how to become like Jesus, and really, it's just this combination. Maybe you've noticed in this series, everything builds on each other, and so to become like Jesus, we be with Jesus. We do the things we talked about in that second week. We pray, and we pray often, and we pray every day, and we pray in such a way that we are learning how to connect relationally With God. And then we also read scripture and study and learn how to follow Jesus from his words. We learn who he is, what the nature and character of God is by studying the stories in the Bible and the commands and everything that is good that is inside of it. We learn how to be with Jesus by serving people, by fasting, by Sabbathing. We learn how to become like Jesus through community and the people that are around us, by being a part of the church. All of these things together over time when we are consistent bring a change about inside of us. We begin to choose the things of God. We begin to discover the purpose that he's given to us and we begin to live in it over time, doing the things that Jesus did comes more and more naturally to us, gets easier for us to do the more time we have spent being with him and working to become like him. And so as we go, this becomes easier and easier. But until we get to the point where it's easy, it'll never be easy, but maybe easier until we get to that point, doing what Jesus did, the work of Jesus is a part of the process. We become like him by being with him, by serving him, and by doing the things that he did. This is what apprenticeship and discipleship has always been about. And so to see what that looks like, we can look at Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9 is a great chapter of the Bible in that, bio, in that book of the in that chapter of the Bible, Matthew is called to follow Jesus. Now Matthew was a tax collector. He was a mess. He was serving the Roman government. He was outcast by his own village. He had stopped practicing Judaism. He would not have been allowed to come into the temple to make sacrifices or anything along those lines because of his profession as a tax collector. And Jesus came to him and said, Matthew, come follow me. And Matthew just leaves his booth. He leaves all of his things right there and gets up and goes and follows Jesus. Later down in that chapter, we see this story. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus could see that people were hungry for the kingdom of heaven, hungry for the kingdom of God, ready to hear about it, to receive it. But there weren't enough people out there to do the work of bringing them that message, of telling them about it, and then of building it and doing the work of the kingdom of God. And so he said, ask God to send more workers along. And then look at what the very next sentence is. It says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave, him, gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease and sickness. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And he's making it clear right here that his disciples, his followers are the workers he is talking about. Those who are going to be sent out to collect the harvest. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter and his brother, Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, the time to reach the Gentiles and the Samaritans was coming soon. But at this moment, his disciples weren't ready for that. In fact, they weren't ready for any of this. If just a few verses earlier, we were introduced to Matthew, who is a tax collector. This man hasn't been to church in years. And Jesus says, Get, guess what, Matthew? I got a job for you to do. They're not ready yet. This is not them suddenly being the men of God that we know they would grow to be, the leaders of the church that we know they would grow to be. This is them in their process of development being asked to go and do the things that Jesus did. He says, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy and drive out demons. Freely you have received So freely give. These guys aren't ready for this work yet. Jesus knows that. But he knows that they are going to learn to do the things that Jesus does. To do the work of Jesus by doing the work of Jesus. He's been with them. He's been sitting down at tables with them. He's been having meals with them. He's been teaching them, sharing with them. He's been asking them to help as he does the work of ministry, to to have some tasking and some work to do around the ministry. And now he's sending them out to do it even though they're not quite ready for it. What I want to do is break this down a little bit for us and add a few things that are going to help us on our pursuit of following Jesus. I want you to learn to be with Jesus. And that's a huge priority. If all of this is new to you, learning how to pray can feel like a big task. And we want you to learn how to pray. And we want you to learn how to have community. We're going to talk about this month, to break bread around a table with people and let Jesus be at the center of it, how to live in real community. And we want you to learn how to study scripture and to do these these things that we do in pursuit of becoming like Jesus. But I just believe that as we do those things, There are a few works of Jesus that we see him calling his disciples to right here that he's calling us to right now as well, even though he knows you're not all the way ready yet. So the first one is this, we're being called to proclaim, to proclaim, to proclaim the kingdom of heaven is near. As Jesus sent out his disciples to go and practice doing the work that he had been doing, he gave them these specific instructions. The first thing that he told them to do was to proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what Jesus did. In Matthew chapter four, he calls his first disciples the fishermen. And he gets the fishermen together. And then in Matthew five, six and seven, he preaches the Sermon on the Mount, which is the longest message recorded in the Gospels. And so they are coming into this relationship with Jesus. And right away, he's modeling for them how he's going to teach people about the kingdom of heaven. He spoke of the kingdom of heaven in large crowds and dining rooms. And he spoke of it in one-on-one meetings late at night. As we practice the way of Jesus, regardless of what your gifting is or who you are, you are called and expected to proclaim the name of Jesus. One of my favorite sermons in the Bible is the one Paul the Apostle brings in Athens, Greece. Paul walks past their idols. He's in Athens doing missions work, bringing the gospel to these people. And he's looking for the right opportunities to communicate to them. And as he's walking through their idols, this lane where they have all their idols, they've got the idols to the Greek gods, Zeus and, you know, probably Hercules. Hercules you know, Hercules is there and Poseidon. They're all there. But then there's this empty. Uh, altar that says to an unknown God. And Paul sees it and he says, this is an opportunity. It says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. It's clear to me that you're a spiritual people. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship." And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. He saw an opportunity and he seized it. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring... We should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Paul sees the opportunity and the means and the context to communicate this into the people, and then he communicates it. Now, I get it. Maybe maybe this is is a sermon. Maybe this is not your style. You're not a preacher. Maybe I'm going to connect with the Athens message more than you will. How about this one? I mentioned it last week, just a a chance one-on-one conversation that's had. This is about Philip in Acts chapter eight. It says, he, Philip, started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandak, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet do you understand what you were reading? I, I, this is how my brain works. Because this is a chariot is being pulled by a horse going fast. And Philip's on foot wearing sandals, you know. And it, the Spirit told him to go go, stay with that chariot. So I'm just imagining Philip's just like, he's like sweating. He's all, he's a mess, you know. His sash is like bouncing around and he's doing his best. to like He's like, hey, hey, man. He's trying to be casual. What's you reading? What's you reading up there? That's, the, that's just, that's what the Bible says. That's what's happening. Okay. Hey, oh, you understand what you're eating up there? You need any help? You know, it's like that dude's like, what is wrong with this guy, man? He's trying to act like it's a normal thing that he's just running next to a chariot. You just imagine like a preacher. You're just driving your car. And he just runs next to your car and tries to act like it's a normal thing. Hey, what you're eating? What, you, what podcast is that? <laughs> How can I, says the Ethiopian, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And Philip is so relieved. He gets up in the chariot, sits with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its sheer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? himself or someone else. And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news of Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of being baptized? Philip comes into this conversation with a guy. He's just got a scroll. He's just reading. And he just opens in an awkward run. He says, what are you reading? Do you understand it? Do you need any help? Or what's, 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 what are you listening to? What's that all about? And the Ethiopian says, look, man, how am I supposed to understand this without somebody explaining to me? And he reads a passage about Jesus. Here's what I know. That God wants you to proclaim the kingdom of heaven. In fact, he's called you to it. And right now, all around you, the Holy Spirit is working to provide you with opportunities like this one. You're going to enter into conversations where you won't even believe how easy of a pitch you've been given to share the message of Jesus. All you have to do is just be available and be willing to enter into those spaces. Philip says, you're reading a passage about Jesus. This is about him. Here's what he's done for you. Here's the way that he's, he's called me. Here's, here's the change he has prepared for you. And the Ethiopian says, I see. I understand. All of his life, he's been studying Judaism trying to get a handle on this and feeling like something was missing and feeling like there was more and Philip had never met this guy before he doesn't know the journey that took him to that road but I'll guarantee that the journey was long and that it was difficult and there were a lot of moments where he felt like there just had to be something else in this life And then God sent Philip and Philip gets in the chariot and he says, listen, there is more in this life. There is more to this passage. There is something that you have missed that is waiting for you. There is good news on the other side of this conversation. And you can know Jesus and he died for you and for your queen and for everybody that you'll ever meet so that you could have a relationship with him. And the man says, where can, look, let's get in that river right now. I need to be baptized, I believe. I believe you can have conversations like this one as well. Whether it's in front of a big crowd or in a chance conversation along the road or at lunch with a friend or grabbing drinks with a coworker or in the backyard with your neighbor, if you wanna do what Jesus did, proclaim the kingdom of God. It's not as hard or as intimidating as you think. I'll break it down. First, what I have been told, I tell. What I have been told, I tell. You know enough about the good news of Jesus to share it with someone else. You've been told, and that's why you believe. And you just tell what you've been told. Explain what and why you believe. It's possible they ask you questions or challenge you in a way that you're not ready for. That's okay. It's okay to say, I don't know. I just believe anyways. That's what faith is. It's okay to say there are things that I have a hard time with still that I'm trying to understand that I don't have answers for. It's okay to admit that you're still learning. Just what you've been told, you tell. And then what I have experienced, I share. What I have experienced, I share. Don't just proclaim what you believe. Tell them why you believe it. Tell them about how this story has changed your life. Tell them why it means something to you the ways your life has changed, your heart has changed, your hope has changed. Tell them where you were emotionally, mentally, spiritually before Jesus and how that is changing now that you know him and follow him. Tell them what the kingdom of heaven has meant for you. They can always argue with your doctrine. It's pretty hard to argue with someone's experience. What I have experienced, I share. What I have been given, I give freely you have been given, freely give. That's what Jesus tells his disciples as he sends them out. So what have you been given? A second chance, a third, a fourth, forgiveness, grace, a deeper understanding of the life that you're living, meaning, purpose, joy, hope. Give it out just as freely as you received it. My life's been changed by this. I believed that God did not want me, that he couldn't use me, and that he didn't care about me. And then I learned about Jesus. And I discovered that God not only cared about me, he created me, he pursued me, he loves me. I learned that he loves me enough to sacrifice his son for me. I learned that he has a plan for me, that he has a purpose in mind for me. I learned that not only does he care about me, he has made plans for me. Plans to give me a hope and a future. How selfish of me is it to discover that beautiful and amazing truth and then just keep it for myself. Freely I have received, so freely I give. We proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand because someone proclaimed it to us. We've been sent to proclaim. And then we serve. The first one is proclaim, the second thing serve. Last week we talked about becoming like Jesus and one of the practices that gets us there is serving. And that's because if we're going to become like Jesus and do what Jesus did, this is one of the things that he most consistently modeled for us. On his last week with his disciples before the resurrection, he really tried to hammer that point home. He was trying to help them understand that if if you're going to be my disciples and do the things that I did, this is one of the most important things. On the road, on the way there, they had that conversation that I read last week where he said, look, I know you, you know that the authorities of this world, they lord their authority over everyone they have authority over, but it's not gonna be that way in my kingdom. It's gonna be different. We're gonna serve people. And then to help them remember this forever, he gave them an object lesson once they got to this upper room where they would have the last supper. So Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power, Jesus answered, "Unless I wash you, you have no part with me." And then Peter goes over the top. "Lord, not just my feet, then, but my hands and my head as well. God, I'll get undressed, wash my whole body." And Jesus, is like Peter, you got to chill, man. You got to. I'm trying to do something here, and you're interrupting. I'm doing this. Is a, I'm making a point. Jesus answered, "Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet, Peter. Their whole body is clean. You are clean, Peter, although not every one of you, Judas." I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now, Jesus is not just obsessed with feet in the kingdom of heaven, okay? It's not like the kingdom of heaven is gonna be all about feet, that feet are gonna be this central thing. If that were true, I'm not sure I'd be here. I hate feet. I don't wanna to touch feet. I don't like feet. I don't even like to look at feet. I don't like sandals, okay? I'm just being honest right now. I don't like seeing your feet. You got your toes out there in the open. Oh, willy nilly. I don't think I wanna see them, toes. That's not what he's trying to say. Sorry, I, was pers- I got personal for a second. I apologize. Wear your sandals. I'm, I'm, be blessed with your sandals on. God's changing my heart still. What, what he's trying to help us understand is the way that living in his kingdom works, what it means to follow Jesus is a life of service. He's giving an object lesson to his disciples to hammer down the very thing that he spent the last three years showing them and teaching them, that to follow him means to serve, to serve people, to have a posture of humility, a posture of service, not to think that I'm ever too big to serve or too important or too good to serve a certain person or group of people, but rather that my life is about serving others, caring for people, giving what I can in and giving of myself as well. You were made to practice the way of Jesus. And by doing so, to know God and find freedom and discover your purpose and make a difference in all these things. You were made for it to practice the way of Jesus. And that means you were created, created, created to serve people. That it's wired into your DNA It's a part of who you are. That is why people who live this way experience a life of happiness and peace and satisfaction and joy. And people who live a selfish life in pursuit of all that they want or what's good for them are never satisfied. Live an unhappy life and never have enough. Serve people and serve all people. Jesus knew that Judas was about to betray him to a horrible death. He knew it and he got down, took the man's sandals off and washed his dirty calloused feet. Serve everyone, join the dream team. Find a way to care for someone that's out of your way or outside your normal circle this week. Don't be selfish in your relationships, be selfless. Care for the people that you love. Care for the people that you don't know. Care for the coworkers you have. Serve, do what Jesus did. Find a need and fill it. Find a hurt and heal it. And then finally, we love people. We're gonna do what Jesus did and we're gonna do it well. We have to love people. Jesus wasn't just a friendly person, but he was a friendly person. I think sometimes churches have missed that. We, we have a lot of talk about following Jesus and knowing Jesus and being like Jesus. Jesus was nice. And I don't know about you, but I would guess that the general impression for wait staff around the area on a Sunday afternoon isn't always that church people are the nicest people. One time uh, I was, uh, I had skipped, I was in high school and I'm just going to admit it. I had skipped church did it from time to time. Me and my friend Kemp were at our favorite Mexican restaurant La Coretta. Praise God, there's one in Asheville. And I remember we were we knew the staff, they would give us free cheese dips, we went in there so much. And we were talking to them. And then it was about 1145. And the culture of the room changed. You could see the tension starting to rise and people were kind of rushing around. There was some, some, some speak going on around of, you could tell it was a tense conversation. And we asked our waiter, hey, what's going on? What's everybody tense about? He's like, oh, it's just, it's just that it's almost 12. That means the church crowd is coming. I'm like, oh, that's a good thing, right? This, this is good for business, a lot of church. He's like, yeah, worst tippers, bossiest people, always mad about something, I'm like, oh. That's your impression of what's going to happen when the church people come. I just believe that if we are going to follow Jesus, that we should be marked by kindness, that we should be known by our love, that we should be known as a friendly people. How do I know that Jesus was a friendly person? Well, there's Matthew the tax collector and the dinner he had with his friends who most religious people wanted nothing to do with. When the Pharisees said what are you doing with this crowd all these people why are you here you know what I noticed when Jesus calls Matthew Matthew had been this person in a profession that was thought of as just poor character bad people and Jesus calls him to follow him and I don't see a single word in any of the gospels of admonishment of Jesus shaking his finger at him and saying how could you have lived that way You turned your back on the church. How could you have done that? How could you have left your people behind? Did you forget what I did for you? How could you abandon me like this? I don't see anything like that. Jesus just goes to his house for dinner and tells him to invite all of his friends. And he's hanging out with his friends, and the Pharisees say, why do you have these people in your company? Why are you with these sinners and these tax collectors? And Jesus says, these are the people I came for. Then there's Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was another tax collector and one that was known for his corruption. He was also a wee little man. (laughs) Nobody wanted anything to do with this guy. He was used to being overlooked and ignored and that had made him mean. But Jesus didn't overlook him. He found him in a tree trying to hear Jesus over the crowd. And Jesus said, hey, Zacchaeus, I see you there. Get down out of that tree. Not a word of judgment or punishment. None of it. He just says, I'm coming to your house today. Then there's a man named Bartimaeus, a blind beggar who'd been ignored all of his life because of his physical disabilities. When he cried out to Jesus, the disciples told him to sit down. Jesus is too busy today for you. Same kind of thing he'd heard all of his life. But Jesus stopped, walked over to him, looked at him, really looked at him. I wonder when the last time was that somebody had really looked at Bartimaeus and he said what do you want me to do for you and Bartimaeus said Lord I want to see and Jesus says your faith has healed you but my favorite example of the kindness and compassion of Jesus is this one Mark chapter 10 verse 13 people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them but the disciples rebuked them get these kids out of here Coffin on Jesus. <laughs> Jesus' gonna to have to heal himself after touching your nasty kids. <laughs> when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children into his arms placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Two things I love about it. First, as a parent, if you really want to win me over, show kindness to my children. Second, the kids want to go be with Jesus. They're getting their clamoring up there to Jesus. He embraces them. He puts his hands on them. He blesses them. Listen, kids do not like to hang around grumpy people. That's a fact. Kids like fun people they like the uncle who doesn't know when to stop playing with them and he's just dying inside, but he just keeps doing the same thing over and over and over and over again while parents are like, sucker. <laughs> Kids like aunts who sit and listen to them like they really matter. Like they're adults who talk to them like they have a place in this world. Not like they're an inconvenience in it. Kids like teachers who are compassionate enough to understand that they are not like the person they sit beside and that they have a... a Right to learn the way that they learn. If you want to become like Jesus and practice the way of Jesus, you have to be kind, and you have to love people well. Jesus said in John thirteen thirty five, "By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another." It's the number one marker of a follower of Jesus is how well you love. It's not your Bible knowledge. It's not how few cuss words you said yesterday. It's not any of those things. It's how well you love. That's what marks you as one of his disciples. If we are gonna become like Jesus and follow in the way of Jesus, we have to be marked by how well we love. We've been called not to just raise our hands or walk an aisle or go to church from time to time, we've been called to practice the way of Jesus, to apprentice him, to follow him, to become a disciple of his, to wake up every day and spend time with him, to practice the presence of God in every waking moment, to become like Jesus a little bit more every day, consistently moving just a little bit further each day until we see ourselves transformed. We've been called to serve others, to love people and to proclaim the kingdom of heaven. And all of this will take time. In fact, we can't measure the progress in days or weeks or even months. This kind of progress can only be measured in years, in a life lived pursuing Christ. And if we're consistent, day by day we pursue the way It gets easier and our lives get more and more full of his goodness. If you're here today and you're ready to begin that journey, then we cannot wait to go on it with you. It just starts by simply saying, yes, he's standing at the door right now saying, come and follow me. And you just have to drop everything. Just leave what you've got behind you pass through that door into a journey to just follow him, to be his disciple, to pursue his way. And it just starts with a single conversation where you say yes. If you're ready to do that today, every head bowed, every eye closed, just pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for trying to do it on my own, for making it about me. I need you. I wanna follow you all that I am from this day on, I am yours. I will follow you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.